Good morning. If you brought a Bible, we're going to be looking in John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there might be a Bible somewhere in your seat around you. Uh, you're welcome to that. If you don't own a Bible, you can uh, have that Bible, take that Bible home. Uh, but we want to get you a better Bible than the little black hardcover Bibles that we have, even though it's great. It's a great thing to have, but we want to get you a better one, something that maybe help you a little bit uh, in, your, in your faith journey. Um, so let us know if we can get you one. Uh, get you one. Um, we've been talking about over the last uh, number of weeks about the idea of invest because people are worth it. Uh, this is not a financial talk. These are not, this has not been anything about our resources other than that we need to see people the way that Jesus saw people. That he saw people that had tremendous value and had tremendous worth in their, in their life. And, and he, he loved, and, and that should compel us based on his love, that he loved in order for us to love others. That, was, that really ought to be the motivation for all of us. And he showed compassion even to those that maybe are hard to show compassion to. He, he gave love and compassion to those that, you know, you and I would have said, you know what, they've, they've made too many mistakes, they've, you know, they've, they've you know, messed us over too, too often, or, you know, I, I just know those type of people or whatever the, you know, biases that we have, and we wouldn't have showed any kind of compassion. Well, Jesus didn't do that. He constantly showed love and grace and compassion. And what made him so loving was is that he wasn't uh, judgmental. Uh, that wasn't his attitude. He didn't, he didn't lead from a judgmental uh, spirit. Uh, that's oftentimes what we as Christians, if you're a Christian here, that's oftentimes what we get accused of as being judgmental. Um, and he certainly wasn't hypocritical, which is another thing that we as Christians, if we call ourselves Christians, we get accused of of being hypocritical. And then last week we just talked about the idea of winning more, that the, the ambition for the Apostle Paul in all things. He said, in all things that I do, he says, the reason why I'm here, the purpose that I have, the destiny for my life is that I, am, I exist for the reason of winning people to Christ. That's why. He says, that's my motivation. That's why I love. That's why I show compassion. That's why I don't judge. That's why I'm not going to, you know, be hypocritical in my life because I want, because I want to win more. I want to win more. That was his, his motivation. And so we're going to kind of land this and, and really give a very, very practical thing that you, we all can do. Every single one of us uh, can do in this room uh, when it comes to the ambition of or when seeing people uh, maybe, you know, make that step or at least consider that step of faith that you've uh, considered in your life. And here's what was interesting also about Jesus is that Jesus was inviting and intriguing enough to be compelling, that Jesus had this, that, this, this about him, that he invited those, again, many of those who were not like Jesus, that those that were different than Jesus, those that had different points of view and different belief systems, and you know, people that were, were complete polar opposites of who Jesus was. But Jesus was inviting enough and intriguing enough to be compelling to them. And I wonder where has that been lost in the church? That we ought to be, as the body of Christ, that we ought to be people that are inviting enough and intriguing enough and to be compelling, to at least want to, you know, dive into or consider or explore, you know, the faith that we've explored over, over in our lives. And so that's why I wonder where the disconnect is. I mean, I think about a guy, 
you know, like Peter. You know, Peter was, here's just some, you know, attributes of Peter. Peter was unbelieving, misbehaving, impulsive, brash, troublemaking, gruff, unkept, vile, and had vulgar language because he was a fisherman. This is kind of who Peter was. Like, he was, this was, this was his characteristics when, when he met Jesus. But when Jesus saw Peter, he's like, hey, Peter, I want to I wanna hang out with you. I, I know you're a fisherman, and, and I'm a rabbi, and I know that we're completely different from each other. But Jesus was inviting and intriguing enough and was compelling enough that it kept people around. It kept people wanting to spend more time with him. It kept people wanting to learn more about what he had to say. It kept people wanting to see, you know, how his life was so different than everybody else. And it kept people interested enough to want to follow him to different places. And so one day, you know, Peter was out and, you know, tending to his nets, you know, getting ready to, you know, call it a day. And, and Jesus comes up to Peter and says, hey, Peter, can, I, can we get in your boat? I want to teach because there's a crowd of people, and Jesus was compelling in that way. There was a crowd of people that wanted to hear from Jesus. And so he got into Peter's boat, and they launched out a little bit, you know, out into the water. And I guess it made for the uh, acoustics to be better for the people on the land to, to sort of hear what Jesus was saying. And, and so Jesus and Peter says, okay, I'll, we'll do that. And so after Jesus gets done teaching, Jesus tells Peter, hey, Peter, let's go launch out deeper. Let's go deeper out into the water. And let's go, in other words, let's go fishing. And Peter's sort of response was, well, you know, I mean, I've been fishing all night, and, you know, we haven't really caught anything. You know, the fish aren't really biting right now. And and, and, and Peter, Jesus is like, let's go, let's go, let's go out deeper, and I'll tell you where to drop your net. And now you got to imagine here for a minute, Peter's a professional fisherman, and Jesus is a rabbi. What do rabbis know about fishing, you know, that fishermen don't know? And so, but Peter's like, all right, you know, you're intriguing enough, you're compelling enough, whatever you say, I will do, which is a great lesson for everyone. He says, whatever you say, Jesus, I will do. You're compelling enough. You're intriguing enough. I want to know what you, can, what you might be able to do here. And so they launch out in the deep. He puts down his net for a catch. And sure enough, the rabbi, non-fisherman, was right. And they brought up a great catch of great multitude of fish, so much so that there was no room for them, for their fish in the boat, that other boats had to come and help bring in this big haul of fish. So they get done, and here's what, where we're going to pick it up. He says, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. And he said to them, follow me. So he's saying, now we're after this, he says, I want, I want you to follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Like, this is what I have for you. This is what I want to, want to do in your life. He says, I want you to follow me, and I'm going to make you, I'm going to turn you into a fishers of men. That you're not going to catch fish anymore. That was sort of just metaphorical. I wanted you to see what, what you're going to do in your life. If you keep following me, if you keep listening to me, I want you to see what I can do in and through you, Peter. And so as you caught a bunch of fish, that if you keep following me, you're going to be a fishers of men. You're going to be catching people and to get people to have a relationship with me. A little while later, they, after following Jesus for some time, 
Jesus started asking Peter and the rest of the guys, hey, who do people say that I am? And so the, you know, some of them speak up and say, well, you're, you know, you're, some say that you're like a reincarnated, you know, Jeremiah or John the Baptist or a prophet Elijah that has, that has come back. And, and then Jesus said, hey, um, well, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? And so Peter speaks up because Peter, that's who Peter was. He was impulsive. And so Peter speaks up and says that you are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And it was almost like Jesus was like shocked. He was like, whoa, Peter. He goes, man, he goes, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. He says, your, your heavenly father who is in heaven has revealed that information to you. And look what he said. Look what he says in Matthew 16. He says, I, I say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He said, I just want you to know that based on that statement alone, Peter, that, the, that I'm gonna build my church, that, that word church means an ecclesia, and that ecclesia means a, a gathering of, of people for one purpose and one cause underneath the umbrella of that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, I'm gonna build my church on that statement, and that statement alone, Peter, and then he said this in verse 19, he says, I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That just like we have keys to unlock things or to you know, go somewhere or to move in a direction, he says, Peter, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to have the keys to open up heaven to those that need it. I'm gonna give you those keys. Not far along after that, it was actually the night before Jesus was arrested. Jesus took his disciples along with Peter, of course, in an upper room. And as they walk in, they sort of take their place around a table. And, and Jesus uh, does something that was a little unusual at that time. But he grabs a bowl of water and grabs a towel and, and, and starts to wash to the disciples' feet. And he starts to go from one disciple to another and he gets to Peter and Peter's like, Lord, 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 I, you, I can't have you do this. I can't have you wash my feet. And, and, and Jesus is saying, listen, I, I, I gotta show you this. This is what I want you to do for others. I want you to love people in the same way. He says, just as I'm washing your feet, Peter, I want you to wash the feet of others. And Peter finally probably doesn't really quite understand this concept. And then Jesus unfolds it for them that they can all understand. And he said, Jesus said it this way in, in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Just as I've washed your feet, I want you to wash other people's feet. In other words, let me say it this way. As I have loved you, I want you to love one another. He says in verse 35, he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know how people will know that you're a follower of Jesus? By the way that we love others. That's how people will know. That will be the identifier for, for all people that watch and look in and peer in to our faith and, and us following Jesus. They will know it by the way that we Love one another. And Jesus demonstrated by washing feet that was a job assigned to the servant of all. 
And Jesus defined greatness by saying, you know who the greatest is? The greatest is in my kingdom. The greatest of all is the servant of all. And that same very night, Peter said, you know, I'm gonna, I will die for you. I will die for you. And that, and that night, Jesus told Peter, yeah, um, you will one day die for me. But before that, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. And sure enough, that night, Jesus was arrested. Jesus was taken to the court of the high priest. And Peter followed Jesus to that place. There was a fire outside of the place in the courtyard and Peter was warming himself by the fire watching to see what was going to happen to his, to his Lord and his master. And, and as he's warming himself, a, a servant girl, a slave girl asks him, wait, wait, aren't you with him? No, I'm not with him. I don't know him. A little while later, somebody else asks him, hey, aren't you with him? Aren't you one of his guys? No, no, I don't know him. A little while later, somebody else said a third time, aren't you, don't you, aren't you a follower of him? And Peter says, no, I don't know that blankety blank. And Peter realized right then in that moment, Jesus looks at him, realizes that it was exactly the way that Jesus said it would all go down that night. Jesus was led crucified, Peter and the rest of the guys ran and hid because they think if they're going to arrest and crucify him, they might come for us. And so they ran for the hills like cowards and hid. A few days later, a woman by the name of Mary knocked on the door of wherever house they were hiding, says, the body's gone. The body's missing. Peter and John grab their, their stuff and start running towards the tomb. John tells us that he was the faster runner. Why did John tell us that? I don't know, but he did. John tells us that he got to the, the tomb first, walks in, and then Peter shows up a little while later, walks in and notices that the grave clothes were set to the side, that the, that the cloth that covered the face of Jesus was folded up and put in its own place. Not long after that, the disciples were trying to figure out what's going on, where's the body, what did they do with it, what's happening here, and then before they know it, as they're sit sitting around, gathering in a house, Jesus appears himself. He opens up, or he goes through a wall, which is sort of weird for us to think about, but he kind of walks into the room wherever they're, wherever they're at and says, hey, guys, peace be unto you. And he appeared to them a couple, a couple different occasions until one day that Peter and the guys decided they were going to go back fishing again. They're going to go back to their old life, their old job, which is what many of us would probably do. So Peter's out fishing with some of the other guys, his brother Andrew, James, and John. And they can't catch anything. If, if the Bible was any indication of how good of fishermen these guys were, they were terrible. <laughs> they were terrible. And they're not catching anything, and all of a sudden, the sun rises, and they see a silhouette of a man on the beach yelling out to them, hey, you catch anything? No. Not tonight, we didn't. Hey, why don't you try casting your net on the other side? They're probably all like, who 
is this guy? What is this guy? Why is he telling? And then one of the disciples, probably John, goes, I think that's, I think that's him. And Peter, being the impulsive, Peter grabs his outer garment. I don't know what that meant, but he grabs his outer garment and he jumps into the water. And he swims to the shore. And he gets to the shore and there he is. It's Jesus. Jesus already has going a fire with some food, some fish, and some fresh baked bread already set and ready to go for, for, for Peter and the rest of the guys as they're kind of making their way in. See, Peter was like left the guys out on the boat and they have to bring in, you know, a haul of fish that Jesus told them that they would catch as soon as they dropped their net on the other side. But there's Peter and Jesus. It says that in John 21, it says that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. On three different occasions, Jesus asked Peter that. It was sort of a reminder of the time that, Je- or that Peter denied Jesus three times, but it was also Jesus' love and compassion to Peter to say, listen, you made a mistake, but I can restore you. You didn't get it right, but I'm, we're going to get it right now. You don't always have it together, but we're going to get it together. And on three different occasions, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Then he said, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. You know that I love you. Tend to my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I mean, this is restoration. Not long after that, Jesus commands his guys to go to Jerusalem and wait on the day of Pentecost. And they go, they get head to Jerusalem, but Peter does what Peter does. He's impulsive. And so Peter decides, even though he told us to wait, we need to replace Judas. We need to replace Judas. And so Peter decides that they're going to cast some lots for a couple different guys. And one fell on a, a man by the name of Matthias. And Matthias was what they considered to be the, the, the guy that filled in the role for Judas as an, as a, an apostle. Then the Spirit of God comes upon them at the day of Pentecost, and Peter is inspired, galvanized with his faith to preach boldly Jesus, and he stands before thousands of people. By the way, the same people that put Jesus on the cross, the same people, I mean, we're not talking months later, we're talking days later, the very same people, and Peter stands up before them, thousands of them, and says, hey, listen, you killed him. But God raised him, and we've seen him, so say you're sorry. That was his message. You killed him, but God raised him, and we've seen him. Say you're sorry. That was his message. Not long after that, Peter had a dream or a vision that God was now going to open up the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the whole entire world. It was his plan from the very beginning, but now this was happening. Now this was starting to happen. And he goes and he visits a centurion man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile man who was a God-fearer, but yet he was, he was outside of the, of the people of God. He wasn't a Jewish man. 
But Peter goes because of a vision that God gave to Peter and said, listen, God is opening up. God is, has no, no more you know, preferences or biases. God is now opening up the message of the gospel to the whole entire world. And in, the, in that moment, Peter walks into Cornelius' house, which, by the way, was a big deal for a Jewish man to do. To walk into an unclean Gentile's home. But he does. And Cornelius receives Christ as his Lord and Savior. And the Spirit of God comes upon Cornelius. Now we don't know a lot about what happened to Peter really after that time. After Acts chapter number 12, sort of the, the scene sort of the shifts to the Apostle Paul. But here's what we know, here's what scholars believe, that Peter just went on as a missionary to the world, that Peter went out and just helped encourage churches. Peter went to church to church to make sure that they, they kept sound doctrine, that they stayed true to the teachings of Jesus and the writings of, of Paul, that the, he, he was just an encourager in that way. And he probably started churches along the line. And then we know that at some point in history, Peter lands himself in a place called Rome, in the city of Rome. And there, probably preaching Jesus, preaching his message, you killed him, God raised him, we've seen him, say you're sorry. He's there in Rome, he gets arrested. And he's taken into prison, into the prison cell in Rome. He, the, the, uh, you know, history tells us he probably spent about a year in prison there in Rome. Before one day Nero wanted to make an example out of him. And Nero brings Peter out of his prison cell. And he leads him up into a great crowd of people. In a place called Nero's Circus. Where Nero would make a spectacle especially of Christians. That they would feed them to wild animals. They would impale them on a post and light them on fire. And Peter was led to Nero's circus. And this time, it was going to be a crucifixion because Romans were experts at crucifixions. And Peter led up to his execution, beginning to be crucified. History tells us that he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the same manner of his Lord and Savior. And he did. And he died. Today, in that very sight, there's a beautiful building erected in honor of not Nero, not any other Caesar, but Peter. Today. Today, we name our dogs Nero. We name our dogs Caesar. Today we name our children Peter and James and John and Andrew. How does that happen? How does that happen? Can I show you the first meeting? Where we picked it up was the second meeting on the boat. Can I show you how it happened in the first meeting? Let me show you. Look at John chapter 1. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's 
brother. So Andrew, go back, go back, don't. So Andrew is the brother of Peter, and Andrew was following John the Baptist. We don't know how long, but we assume that John the Baptist started saying, you need to start following Jesus. You need to stop following me, and you need to start following Jesus. And so probably Andrew did that. He's going, okay, who is Jesus? And John the Baptist is saying, he's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sins of the world. That's who he is. Start following him. Start listening to him, doing what he said. So Andrew does. Now, verse 41. Look what he does. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated means Christ. Verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translates Peter. Now, here's what is so interesting about this for me, and hopefully it is for you. We think about a guy like Peter, and we think, wow, what a life that he led. But how he came to Jesus was so simple and so basic and so easy for all of us to experience and to do for others. I mean, think about this. First, first of all, if you can go back to verse uh, 40. Oh, no, there you go, 41. He found first his own, okay? First thing, he found first. So Andrew is going, okay, I found, you know, his, he goes, I, I, I want to I make sure that I find somebody that is, that is dear to me because I, I found Christ. I was invited to be a part of what Jesus was doing and experiencing Jesus for myself. And so the first thing that he did was that he found his own. That was the first thing that he did. Like he's like, I, I just, I, I, I know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I know what Jesus does for me. I know that he transforms my life. He renews my heart. He makes me brand new. He gives me a meaning and a purpose in my life. He, he, he dictates and he controls and he makes it for the best that, that I can give to this, this time here. He opens up eternal life for everyone. He experienced Jesus for himself. And so the first thing he did, he he wanted to find someone who was lost so that they can be found in him. And he went and found his own, his own brother, his own brother. So here's, here's what I think is real, real simple. First that he did is he found, okay, if we can get that one, Michelle, that one, that, there you go. He found first, and then you've heard me say this before, Fran, okay? He found First, friend. Who's, what's friend? Friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. Like he found, so he's like, okay, somebody that I know might be lost. Somebody that I know might need Jesus. And so he went and found, and then what was it? the first thing that he did? It wasn't like, well, you know, I just want to, you know, check his experience for myself or keep it to myself or this is my faith or this is what I, you know, what I do. And they kind of, everybody else kind of does their own thing. No, no, no. He's like, I found, I want to find somebody who's lost. And it's the first thing that he did. And he wanted to find, and, and, for, me, and for him, it was his brother. 
Maybe for you, it's a friend or a relative or an associate or a neighbor. Maybe there's somebody of your own that you want to go out and find. Maybe that ought to be the first thing that we do. That ought to be. I mean, based on our faith and what Jesus has done for all of us, shouldn't that be our ambition? Shouldn't that be the goal of our life? Shouldn't that be knowing what we know based on the truth of the gospel of Jesus is that we go and we find people who might be lost and they, they may be people that are not like us. They may be people that are different than us. They may be people that have different belief systems or different points of view or maybe a, t- a, d- a different take or a different perspective on life. Listen, Jesus, that didn't stop Jesus. That didn't stop Jesus from being inviting and intriguing enough to be compelling. That didn't stop Jesus from going out and saying, listen, I know that we're not alike in a lot of different ways and we have different points of view, but that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that I want to have a relationship with you. I want you, I want you to know that there's, there's a better way of living. There's a better life to have because that's ultimately what we believe. We believe that Jesus makes our life better and he makes us better at life. That's what Jesus does. And so Andrew, who we don't really know a lot about, it, that doesn't matter. Even though we know a lot about Peter, which is, a, which is another example of, you never really even know who you're going to be reaching out to. You may never even know what impact the somebody that you're going to invite, somebody that you're going to help come to you know, meeting Jesus. You never even know what they could do in their life. Because really, it's really not about us. It's not about me. It's really not about you. It's about what God wants to do in and through us. So we don't really know a lot about Andrew. We know a lot about Peter, though. But what we know is this, is that Andrew decided, I know Jesus. And I want my own to know Jesus. And he found first, and for us, and I'm sure it was for Andrew too, a friend, a relative, a co-worker, a neighbor. And his, his message was, was so clear. Look at, look at his message. First, he spoke, was spoken. It was, he, it was spoken. Listen. What would happen if we had the courage, the courage to say, you know, I just want you to know, I mean, I, we've been working together for, for quite some time now, and you know, and, and, and I, just, I just want you to know that, man, I have a relationship with God. You probably know that I go to church, but you probably see me pray over my meal, but I just want you to know that I have a relationship with Jesus, and it is the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life. I mean, he re- renews and re- he re- restores me, and he reinvigorates me in my life. I mean, he just does for me what I couldn't do on my own. What would happen if we just said these things? out loud I mean we like to just sort of like ah, you know if, I mean if they see it if they see my actions that's one thing it's, it's not a bad way but what if we were so bold to actually speak it hey I found Jesus and I know him and he's amazing to me what is so bad about that what is so harmful about that? Listen, we should, be spoke, we should speak louder. We should speak up and say what God has done in my life. And his message was simple. It was simple. Hey, I found, we found the Messiah. He's the Savior. 
You know your greatest need? Sin issue? Yeah, there's a, there's a solution to that. And his name is Jesus. It's simple. And he was sure. He was confident with it. He didn't waver. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of, I go to church, yeah. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, whatever. You know, I'll just. No, he was sure. Like, he wasn't, he didn't like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm not, like, kind of like waver a little bit. No, he was confident. He was confident in what he put his faith in and what his Lord is going to do in and through him. It was simple, and it was sure. And all he did, this is so important for us, all he did was go, hey, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. What if we... What if we invested so much in people because we know that they're worth it, that we spoke up with a simple invitation and we were confident and sure in it? What if we did what the, the many have done and have experienced in, in Scripture, that they just said, you know what, I want you to come experience this for yourself. I want you to come and I want you to follow. Because here's what's, here's what's interesting. The disciples, Peter, Andrew, others, they spent three and a half years with Jesus. Three and a half years with Jesus. And they didn't really believe until after they saw him alive. They weren't considered believers. So I think that we have oftentimes a misunderstanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, or, or at least when we talk to people about being a follower of Jesus. Hey, would you consider looking into this? Would you give this a try? Would you, listen, I'm not asking you, and my church isn't gonna hold you to this. I'm not asking you to believe it, you know, on the first visit. I'm not asking you to even sing the songs. You know, and you don't even have to take notes to the message. All I want you to do is I want you to come and see this for yourself. I want you to come and experience what it means to consider looking at being a Christian. What if that was our invitation? What if that was our invitation? No strings attached. As a matter of fact, you know what I suggest if you're a Christian and you're gonna maybe explore this? Here's what I suggest. I'll even buy you breakfast or I'll buy you lunch. Like I'll take you out. We'll go, we'll have a day of it and I'll buy everything and I'll pick you up. And I'll Listen, what would it look like if we just decided that our approach, our approach is that we want to invest in people and then invite them to see what Jesus is all about. That was the approach in scripture. That was Andrew's approach with his own brother, Peter. Peter, I found him. He's the Christ. You need to come and see for yourself. And we know what happened to Peter as a result of one spoken, simple, sure invitation. Invitation. You know what a thriving church is? It's an inviting church. A thriving church is an inviting church. 
It's a church that people go, hey, you know, I want you to come and just see. I want you to see. I want you to experience it. Listen, I'm not making you any promises. I don't even know if it, you know, how, how great it's going to be, but I just want you to know, I, I just think that following Jesus is the best decision you can make in your life. And, I, and you don't have to believe it, but it's, it's, it's what, I, what God has done in my life, and I want you to experience it for you. I want you to experience it for you. We can't ever make people believe in what we believe in, but all we can do, all we can do is get them into a place or an opportunity or an environment where they can experience and hear the word of God. And let the word of God and the spirit of God work hand in hand at challenging people's hearts and lives to make a decision for themselves. But unless we decide that we're gonna pick it up and we're going to be a little bit more bold and a little bit more courageous and actually speak out of it and say, hey, I want you to just come and see this and experience this. Listen, we may never know what God could do. The future of the church is at stake. You realize that? Your kids and your grandkids and your great, the future of this church is at stake. In the whole, not just here, but in the world, it's what's at stake. And none of these, the, the church began, none of these was, was, it was all basic, you know, come on, come and see, come and see. Come and see. Come and see what God could do in your life. A thriving church is an inviting church. All right, let's pray. Father, we, um, our ambition really is to be people that realize the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. And we want to take that hope to the world, to people that maybe, not, that maybe are not like us. But that's exactly the example that your son gave for every one of us. The people that were not like him liked him people that were different than him, were intrigued by him. And God, I pray, Lord, that that becomes a reality of who we are. God, that we are understand that our voice could carry weight, our courage could carry weight with a simple message of the gospel and the confidence of, and the certainty that we have in it and what that could do for someone that we are friends with, that we're related to, that we work with, that we're neighbors with. What that could do if we just simply got more inviting. We got more inviting. God, that's our heart, that we want to be a part of seeking and searching out those that may be lost that need to be found because that was, that's your heart, God. And that's the first thing that we do. It's a priority that we do. It's a priority in our life every single day. That was what the Apostle Paul's priority was. To win more, to win more. That he does all things. He becomes all things to all men to have the opportunity to maybe save some. 
God, help us to be able to be those kind of people that invest in others because of the way that you see people, the way that you see people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.